Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Good morning, everyone. Evolutionary.org Hardcore podcast coming your way this is number 108 we're doing another celebrity episode this time sylvester stallone is here and i am here steve smee and i've got the mobster on the show as well what's up buddy all good here in the hood all right guys so let's get started on this so sylvester stallone um he was a lot of things um but not as many things he mostly focused on a film career one of the most well-known action stars of the last i don't know 30 40 years now um probably even longer um and he's still even at his age born in 1946 as of this podcast 74 years old he'll be 75 next summer um and he's still um in the past few years have put out some action movies as well so you know he's a guy that we really want to look at um and kind of study what this guy does to stay in such great shape, even in his seventies. So yeah, let's get in first, before we get into on this podcast, we're going to talk about his training, his diet in his, when he was in his prime, his steroid cycles. We're going to talk about what he does today in his sixties and seventies guys. Listen, forties is, you know, forties is the new twenties. Sixties is the new forties. I mean, we're seeing men all the time. I'm, I'm going to be 40 um, mobster. He's in his fifties and, yeah. Guys, just because you're older doesn't mean, you know, that you can't still stay in, in the best shape of your life. So, you know, that's 100%. how it is. Um, that's the, pri- you know, the prime of our lives is later. So you take care of yourself at a long, long young age. You'll be getting, you know, a, as many women as you want as you get older or men, if you're into that. So either way, yeah. Age is no excuse, fellas. We're proof of it. So don't use it. Yeah, and you guys in your 20s don't think, yeah, my life is over at 25. No, no, it's just starting. Um, so he, he's, he's proof of that, Sylvester Stallone. He still looks, looks great, and he's definitely doing stuff to make him look great. So we're going to help you guys out, whether you're younger or older. Uh, we're going to help you out on this podcast by showing you what he's done. And, but first, kind of let's get into his history a little bit, Mobster, and we talked about that. So his stats – um, you know, on paper, some, some places list them 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", 5'7". I know people who've been in movies with him as extras, and they've said he's definitely closer down to 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, but, you know, and, and he weighed in the, in the high 100s. Um, I think in his earlier movies, he was even less. If you see, if you look at his earlier movies, some of the actors he played with, they were definitely, like, taller than him in those movies, and they definitely – you know, um, there's ways to cheat on that. There's ways to use like elevator shoes to kind of uh, boots to make yourself uh, taller. So yeah. where did Stallone come from? Uh, mobster, um, you know, he know a lot about this, but one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is he wasn't hundred percent Italian. Um, he actually has a father that was from Italy, but his mother's side was half French and half Ukrainian. So he was not hundred percent Italian. He did grow up in Hell's Kitchen, New York, which is a big Italian uh, um, area, uh, town and neighborhood. Tough area. One other thing I wanted to mention before 
mobster uh, tells us about his uh, life uh, as a young person was that he his you know his slurred speech and facial appearance that he's known for in his movies that kind of adds to his characters well that was because the doctors actually accidentally cut one of his nerves when he was born so that's why he like that Now a lot of people don't know that they think that that's just him acting but no that's how he really talks so Monster, tell us a little bit more about his um, childhood and 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 how and and then we'll kind of get into his film career after that he's kind of in a way it's kind of a cliche because um to say that he had a, a tough upbringing you know the hell's kitchen thing mum and dad were completely two different kind of characters and divorced when he was 12 years of age uh, his, his mother is kind of famous for being kind of funky uh, dad was quite a disciplinarian and uh yeah I, I, he was he was kind of back and forth and the, and the cliched stuff is is in terms of being a bit of a bad boy and, and uh, probably because of the divorce and the upbringing and the kind of you know different characters that his mum and dad were so he had a bit of back and forth at school where he was kind of up and down studying things that he liked and then not doing the stuff that he didn't like and then the kind of the cliche again he was doing stuff really well with athletics and school uh, playing you, there's pictures of him online uh, putting a shot and uh, playing ball play american american football uh, he kind of got lucky in in two particular regards as, as a young fella as a young as a you know late late teens uh, uh, just on the cusp of maturity in that he got sent to a, a kind of specialized school where they worked with him on speech therapy and then he started to do some acting and then he got he got a scholarship to a an american school based in switzerland where he took things up another level again with acting and acting classes and i believe just on the edge of that he one of the roles he played was funny enough a hunchback uh, but dribbling and kind of looking nasty and horrible and there's there's uh, friends of his from school at that time and, and college talking about you know uh, the, the way that he was, the nicknames that he used to have. So you've gone from, from strange versions of his, his name where they would tease him and then his response becoming the athlete, becoming popular, the acting really being what he was into. I mean, the, uh, Steve Smith touched on it. He was, he was starting to do his artwork at that time as well. So you get this, this cliche thing again. And I like it because we're going to get into just really how kind of inspiring his story is. But he was bullied and then became a tough guy. He was uh, emotional and artistic, and yet you see him punching people in the face and, and fighting guys with guns in the movies. So, you know, and, and then even when, as we get into his career, you'll see that there was a constant idea that he could then act, and then his movies would make hundreds of millions of dollars. So it feels like he was constantly up against it, and yet his physicality, his drive, his emotion, his uh, artistry turned him into something spectacular, which is where the inspiration will come to. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Oh, sorry, before, before we pass you over, something I've touched on with Steve off air, his background got as bad as with his early, early, early movies, and we, we know the soft porn stuff, $200 a day, and he's been uh, reported, and, and I made a particular note of this mentally, so he gets the, uh, I believe one of the movies was something like The Stud or whatever. And it's a really, really crappy bit part. And of course, later on, when he made his name, it becomes edited inside. It looks like Sylvester Stallone's mate playing a much bigger role than he actually was in, in the first version of the movie. And he got paid two days work, $200. Uh, 
So he's, he's done interviews on camera and, and in one of the interviews, he says something like, I was at the end of a long rope. And when I say at the end, I mean at the very, very end of the rope. And he'd actually spent three weeks sleeping in the uh, Port Authority Terminal in New York on benches. So the role for him was literally, if he didn't have that money, he wasn't going to eat. If he didn't have that money, he actually says, no money, I was going to have to go out and mug somewhere. That's how bad, how low it got, but still wanted to be an actor. And when you, when you get into his career later on, the whole thing with Rocky, for example, they didn't want him as the, yeah, the main actor. And as I said, with regards to other movies that came later on, many, many times that he shouldn't have been able to do what he did but were driven to do what he did. So he, he, he's a true, true, proper inspiration. And, and in terms of, just like, let's use the movies again. So uh, the numbers have built up over the years. So you've got the initial numbers. Rocky was made for, I believe one of the quotes was, the same amount of money as a good poor movie, about a million dollars. And in the first year or so, made well over a hundred. By uh, about uh, 2007, it was 225 million. And I believe the figure now in 2020 is around $300 million for a million dollar movie. Other movies that he made, again, he was getting raspberries, he was getting, uh, he shouldn't have done this, he shouldn't have done that. And then films, he was winning Oscars, Rocky specifically again. Other movies and the other, the, the Rocky movies, each of the first four Rocky movies outsold the one before. So you've got a $100 million movie in the first year, Rocky, Rocky the first one, $200, $225 million with Rocky two, $300 million. And these are all in the first year. Obviously, over time, those, those numbers get higher. And, and Rocky four, I believe, was the one that made the most amount of money. So this is just crazy. It, it, the critics were, would slate him, and then you've got inspiration. And one of the things that Steve Smear said, and I said off air, inspirational was, again, uh, I'm of an ilk, and I believe Steve is as well, where our age means we've almost certainly trained to a Rocky training montage. These are kind of almost for the bodybuilding, the weightlifters that sit in the cinema, and even at home watching this stuff on video and DVD. You kind of cheer when that stuff comes on. And in fact, uh, one of his co-stars in Rocky, his wife in Rocky, she, she says, uh, her and a couple of the other actresses, they almost stood up on their seats when they went to see these films in the cinemas and one of his co-stars from another movie says that she can remember where she sat and how they were cheering at, at the end of the movie because it was that kind of great story and when you think about it, he wrote pretty much every word he produced and directed half the movies that he starred in and a few others uh, that we're not aware of and something I told Steve to me off air again would you believe and we had to had to, uh, to fill Steve in how this went it was actually an inspiration with Henry Winkler. I've just remembered his name, the actor for Fonzie. And Henry says that in his early few episodes of playing Fonzie, he actually used Sylvester Stallone's real character is, is how he was on a movie and, and on a, on a think the projects they worked on before. How would Sylvester be in this situation? And of course, this was Sylvester acting out himself being a little bit nervous around these guys and on a movie set on, 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 in an acting gig. And so slightly over-exaggerating how he'd respond and react and whatever else. So when you look at the, at the, the clip, which I looked up online, Henry Winkler's talking to the camera and they go to one of the early episodes of Happy Days and you've got the Fonz 
and then they cut away to Sylvester Stallone at the same age. It's 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 pretty much like a twin, with the with the slick back hair, the Italian looks, the leather jacket, and Sylvester Stallone because he's nervous and around these people, and it's a big deal being in a movie doing an acting gig, slightly over overacted himself, uh, and, and that's where Fonzie kind of character, the early parts of Fonzie's character come from. So yeah, a serious inspiration, a uh, big money maker. Huge, huge stuff with uh, Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger when they came later on to do Planet Hollywood together. They were all fighting for 25, 30, 40 million dollar contracts. Um, him and Arnold had a massive, massive rivalry. In fact, there's interviews with both of them online again from, from late night chat shows and whatever else where they talk about you know this rivalry that they had back and forth fighting over roles. Uh, Arnold's, of course, telling his little bit bullshit stories to try and get a role for himself. Sylvester's saying how jealous he was of Arnold, and then later on they become buddies. You can see photographs and, and, and videos of them uh, smoking cigars and drinking brandy together, and they're good buddies now. And it kind of seems silly, but at the time, this is one of the most competitive guys being guys in, in, in their 30s and 40s and trying to make a name for themselves and their way in the world. And they become and, and rich and famous and successful. So you become driven, and these these guys are the people you're up against later on. You realise as you get more mature, no need to be like that. And of course, later on, they with the planet Hollywood, Bruce, Bruce Willis on, on on board as well, uh, and to a lesser degree, Dolph Rundgren and a couple of others, uh, going out for drinks, fooling around, and uh, making money. So yeah, back to you, Steve. Yeah. So it's important to remember um, he actually grew up in a middle-class family because his mom actually owned a gym mm. and what he wanted, he wanted to be in the movies. He, he was willing to give up. He had a great education. He went to the university of Miami. Um, he had a great education, he went to a private school in high school, but he wanted to be an actor and that's what required. I mean, he was a starving artist, unless your mom and dad are really rich or actors themselves. That's the way you got to become it. Most, most actors, uh, guys don't realize this. They're waiters and waitresses. They're, they, they do those types of jobs. They're, they're, they do whatever. They're assistants. They do whatever. They're interns. They do whatever they, you know, for a few years just to get a shot. And then once they get a shot, well, his shot came. He did a lot of uh, minor roles, but. So this is what I was going to say in regards to the sacrifice. He stuck by his dream, as you say, to become an actor and made enormous sacrifices to get that. He could have, and you're quite right, uh, mum's gym was barbell. She'd done a couple of TV spots in regards to fitness, uh, and dad was hard working. Even when they separated, they, the, the family was still kind of together. So he could have gone off in a completely different direction, as you say, well, as I mentioned earlier on, getting the scholarship. So there you go, right? Good education, supportive mother and father, if they've never separate, I can go off and do this. But no, no, my dream is to become an actor and an artist and all these other things. And in order for those things to happen, he had to pretty much go without nothing. His brother, uh, Frank, uh, talks about having, they, they, they took turns sleeping on the bed. One would sleep on the bed and one would sleep on the floor in order for them to become successful. So they go, what they should never have been actors. They should never have been in, in, in the media. They should never have been in the movies or on stage or whatever else. So the sacrifice becomes, my dream is this. I want it so bad that we're going to take turns sleeping on a bed with my brother. And when it's so bad, I'm going to, I'm going to sleep on benches down at the, 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 the terminal, the Port Authority terminal. And when it's so bad that I'm going to give up the money that they offered me for my, my Rocky script, and I'm going to take next to nothing. And if the movie is a success, great. But if it isn't, 
then that's me done. I'm gonna want it so bad, but kiss the dog. The actual dog that's in the movie is his dog. And he was talking about selling the dog in order to pay bills so that he could carry on living his dream. That's how bad things got because of his dream. So, so the rags to riches part is go, I want this so badly, I'm gonna sacrifice all these other opportunities that I could have had with the middle class and, and a half decent upbringing in order to do this stuff. So it goes from a middle class background to sleeping on a bench and sharing a, a bed, literally one person in the bed one day and then him in the next. And, and all the kind of stupid stuff that really any sensible person says, listen, it's not for you, fella. Let's go and get you a decent job. Let's go and get you a nice manage middle management role, something else. That's what your kind of like your background says. No, no, no. I want to be an actor. I want to be a producer. I want to be a director. I want to be an artist. And I will scrape almost the very, very bottom of the barrel, short of mugging someone or selling drugs in order to get to be where I am. And then when you see that, and the success that came later on with hundreds of millions of dollars per movie and him getting some of that money for himself. And even when he was just being paid as a, as a star, uh, $30 million uh, for, for a couple of the movies, then it's, then the sacrifice becomes worthwhile. Then you can see the success story again. Yeah. I bet you Steve. Yeah. So, you know, he went through a lot of ups and downs. There was film career. He missed an opportunity to be in The Godfather. He was very upset about it. But again, he didn't give up. He went to see a Muhammad Ali boxing fight. And this was in 1975. And after that, he went home. And three days later, in barely any sleep, he had written the script for Rocky. So a lot of people wanted that script um, and a lot of people offered him some good cash for it. I mean, at the time, you know, uh, the kind of money that they offered him was, was quite a bit. $380,000. Which is today probably like two or three million. But um, he refused to sell him the script if he was not the main okay. actor. They wanted to uh, cast Robert Redford or Burt Reynolds as yeah. the actor, but... They, uh, he, he did the right thing. He told them, no, he's like, I'm going to be the right actor. And we see this a lot in Hollywood today with people producing movies and yeah. making deals with the production companies of, no, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to have this role. I'm going to have at least 10 minutes in this movie. I'm going to have at least five minutes in this movie. If I'm yeah. going to give you the movie a million dollars as a producer, I want to be in it. And then the movie turns around and cuts out the person or has them in for like one line and they turn around and sue them. So it's a tough business, Hollywood. So he was very fortunate that this actually worked out for him because the movie ended up being a smash hit, uh, made a billion dollars, won, won the best picture for the Oscar. It was, uh, it was a hell of a movie. If you've never seen it, I recommend you go and see it. Um, it came out obviously before I was born, but Mobster was a big hit in your day. Um, oh yeah, but, but definitely go go and see it. It's it's a great movie. And then, like Robster said, they made several sequels. Obviously, they were not as good as the first, but Creed was actually considered even better than the original uh, Rocky, and that was also a, a critical uh, success. So Rocky, the Rocky movie, I believe, is actually being inducted into the American Film Archives. Uh, it's one of the, the top 100, top 200 movies that they keep 
in his archives for posterity for all time. And it's considered by many people a classic because the rags of riches that happens in the movie is a reflection of what was happening in real life. In fact, I said that I, from my research, the, the, what happened with the Rocky movie was that he'd actually gone for something and turned around as he was leaving after whatever this situation was and says to the fella that he's talking to that he'd just been to see for, let's say it's for a role or some other part of the, the business and turns around, by the way, I write as well. And the fella says, and this is Rocky, uh, Sylvester Stallone, in, in an interview, he says, if he hadn't said, well, send me what you've got, and I hadn't said what I said, then maybe the Rocky movie would never have happened. So what happens is, as Steve said, he goes away, and, and this has happened a couple of times, where he's literally blacked out the windows with paint or pulled the curtains shut, he blacked out the windows in one situation. And, and, you know, just brought enough food into the room for him to not leave that room for 72 hours and write the script. And that happened on at least two occasions, and Rocky was one of those, to produce it. And then, again, luck and good fortune in Hollywood, took it back to the fella that said, let's see what you've got. He takes them off to see the two uh, producers. One of the producers doesn't really want to read it. It's not really interested in boxing. Duh, 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 duh. But the other fella says, no, no, read it, read it, read it, read it gets into it and the boxing's actually kind of a small part so once he realized there was a kind of love story and and a kind of like you know feel good element to it and something that could on screen do really well again and then and even then there was stuff because they didn't know him as an actor and there was people on set just talking who is this guy what's this movie about so the scene where he's laying on the bed with his girlfriend his would-be wife as she was later on in the movies to like that he kind of got drunk a little bit and he's getting all these comments on set. He's had to drag himself up into that situation. He's been extremely lucky. So when he's doing his montage, he's doing this kind of speech. I just want one chance. I just want, that's real. It's coming from the, the opportunity that was presented. It's coming from wanting to be the actor. It's coming to want to have that film made. And so that became the bit that grabbed the producer's attention, the director's attention, the studio's attention. They were seeing the dailies, they saw this, and then once they saw that scene filmed, everything else kind of got the, the green light to go, 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 because here's, here's, we've got a movie here, we've got something we can work with here, look at what's going on on screen. And of course, that's what we all we look at when we see the Rocky movies, the guy that's beaten down and comes back and kicks your ass, and whether it was Rambo or Rocky, whatever else, the veterans taking part of the, you know, the, the, the guys that were coming back from Vietnam kind of recognised the Rocky character as the, the Rambo character. And so that beating down and raising back up was what made him incredibly popular, but came from a kind of real place. So that's, that's, that's what kind of worked there. Yeah, better you, Steve. So we're going to get into his training a little bit, but just a couple little notes. Um, one of my favorite movies that he did was uh, First Blood, which is the first Rambo movie. And that's another movie just like Rocky that had multiple sequels. But the first one, just like Rocky, was obviously the best. And... Uh, I like the first, I like first blood because it was the actors, the other actors in those roles really did a great job. And I really liked it. It's a really good one. If you're, um, if you've never seen it, that's another one. That's really, really good. First blood, the, the first Rambo one. I really liked that one. And then another funny thing that happened in the eighties, he turned down the role for Beverly Hills cop. Now, a lot of people don't know that, but um, Eddie Murphy came in, they got Eddie Murphy to play a role and you know, that movie would have been completely different with Sylvester Stallone because Beverly Hills Cop ended up being a comedy 
Yeah. If it had Sylvester Stallone, it would have been more of a serious movie. So ended up, uh, that was a situation where Eddie Murphy was able to take advantage of it. And then ironically, Beverly Hills Cop ended up having several sequels. And I think there's another Beverly Hills Cop that's actually coming out. They're supposed to, um, they're working on it. Um, but yeah. but um, yeah, so that that's a kind of funny little, little side note. Um, a lot of people don't know that, that story. I didn't know it either until uh, a year or two. Um, I learned about it. So it was interesting. So let's get into his training. Uh, Mobster, finish up on, on this and we'll get into his training. I was just going to say the one movie, the zinger, the zinger of all zingers that he talks about himself during interviews is Throw Mama from the Train. It's the movie that perhaps he shouldn't have made. The, the one that he feels that came across the worst. Even the, even the one that he did with Dolly Parton. He, 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 I don't think he did that. He, you're thinking of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. That's, that's sorry. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw Mama on the Train was was actually uh, that was uh, what's his name, little, little short guy. Um, he Danny was, DeVito. Danny DeVito, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So stop or my mom will shoot was uh, that movie. That movie, yeah. What he played the the, the the woman from the Golden Girls, the old lady Esther, yeah. Esther or whatever. She was the mom, and she comes to stay with him, and he makes and she makes his life a living hell. But it was such a stupid movie. Yeah, that one was really really bad. It should never have happened. It's yeah. the one where he teases himself during interviews so so that the interviewer doesn't get him to ask, what was you thinking? He kind of does that for himself. And it, it's literally, there's a bunch of stuff there. I mean, the Expendables, he kind of co-wrote and directed, uh, part produced, and of course acted in, especially the first movie, uh, Expendables 1, such as it is. So there's a bunch of stuff. And, and another one, quick one for you, so he's, there's a bunch of people being interviewed on camera for one of the documentaries and you've got uh, John Travolta and there's these two Italian-Americans, uh, would be two Italian-American, we know that uh, uh, Sylvester's got a, a, a little bit of Eastern European blood in there. In he directed Staying Alive and so it, there's an actual scene, I didn't know this, in Staying Alive where the John Travolta character bumps into this fella in the street and the person turns around to look at him and it's only for a few seconds, and it's Sylvester Stallone. And because of what happened with his earlier movies, with, with the Rocky movie, the audience goes crazy and starts cheering in the cinema. That was when he started to produce. That was when he started to direct and do other stuff. So he knows when he's done well. Uh, there's, the, the, the only issue, such as filming, is that, of course, he ends up, if not, I mean, one of the comments was, so you could say that he's been typecast, but look at how successful he's been in being typecast. No one's going to argue with it, the number Steve gave earlier on of a hundred, you know, a, a billion dollars. I, I'm going to say that's right. And, you know, suffer, suffer me a billion dollars for being typecast. I'll say that all day long and, and then moan about it when I go to sleep at night on my, my Egyptian cotton silk sleeve seats or whatever yeah. else. Yeah, he's he's he has the record, I believe, right now. Um, I don't know if it has been broken by Adam Sandler, but last time I checked, he has a record oh. for most Razzies, which is given to the worst actors. So most of his movies are utter shit. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, but the ones, the, the good ones, First Blood, the first Rocky, and Creed, those are the ones, if you want to see his movies, you've never seen them. And then the Creed sequel, part two, was 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 really good too. Um, and those are the ones, those are the cream of the crop movies, pretty much 90% of the movies he made utter shit. Um, and a lot of them bombed at the box office too. So he didn't always make money on his movies, but yeah, o- overall, it, he's definitely uh, made a fortune, millions and billions of dollars. Yeah. I say the ones where he's done the most work 
producing, directing, writing, screen, screenwriting, and acting seems to be the ones where the complete control he's made the most money. And when he's acted or starred in other roles is when he hasn't quite done as well as he should have done. He's not, not just, you know, he just knows what works for him. And that's what's made him the most amount of money. And then when you've gone off an invitation, come and, come and act in this movie. Can you, can you play a part in this movie? Can you sing? Can you do this? That hasn't quite worked. And, 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 and it's just not been, Sylvester Stallone, it's been someone else. So he's probably really, really good at playing an essence of his own character rather than trying to act into someone else. With maybe the one exception being Copland with uh, Robert De Niro. That, that, that's where he probably upped his game from being on screen with Robert De Niro and of course being arguably the, the greatest uh, actor in American uh, of, of his generation. I think every person that's ever acted with Robert De Niro said the same thing that when you was it was like a masterclass and you upped your game, you were on screen with him, you had to be on top form. So maybe Copland, when he weighed forty pounds more than normal, would be the one movie where, uh, critically speaking, he's acted his socks off in a role that he didn't write or produce or. or or have that much input into it. So yeah, back to you, Stacey. When you when you have success like right off the bat, like he did, like just no one heard of him. Then Rocky came out. Then boom. When you yep. peak that early, it's you're never going to be able to reach that peak again. So he had to go years and years before Creed came out. And you could say, yeah, Creed. But Creed, okay, I don't yep. think anyone will argue was a better movie than Rocky. But he tried his best to kind of. He was never able to shake that role, and we see that a lot with especially male actors because they'll peak at a young age and then everyone remembers them as Rocky. So whenever they're in another movie, they remember as Rocky. So how can he shake off that character? So that's, that's the challenge of doing it. we see guys like Leonardo DiCaprio who have been gifted enough to not have that, that play that same character because they've been so consistent throughout their career, choosing the right roles and stuff and that they've been able to kind of, um, avoid that from happening but let's get into the training now the interesting thing about the training with with uh sylvester stallone is he liked to do a lot of his stunts he liked to example in one of the rocky sequels when he played the uh when he was against lundgren and um it was the one it was part four where he had to go to russia and fight a you know roided up uh fighter he actually told lundgren in one of the scenes, just punch me as hard as you can in the chest. And Lundgren did. And he ended up in the hospital for three days. <laughs> so he likes to play in his own roles. He's broken fingers. He's broken his neck. He's had a lot of things. He's, uh, 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 Monster's going to get into it about how he, he, he trained with uh, Franco Colombo, who, who was his trainer. But he, that's not, you know, a little movie trick where you see him in, in these roles in these training montages, training and and with his abs, he's got an eight pack popping out. That's not like a stunt man doing those. That's actually him. Oh, that was in that. So oh. so he was in impeccable shape. So yeah. his training was fantastic, and he actually admitted, um, and I read this that he hated waking up early in the morning and having to go to the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he was motivated. He had that drive to pull through just based on what he actually go th went through when he was younger. So he, you know, he even in his later roles in his sixties, he still had that 
that habit of waking up early, doing his cardio, uh, fasted cardio, um, being disciplined enough to fast for half the day and then having his first meal so he can really, really get ripped. And, you know, he had to look a certain way for his roles and he took advantage of it. He was gifted genetically. He has those, his, his mom was, was an athlete, you know? Um, so it's not like he didn't grow up seeing, you know, athleticism in his family. And he, you know, he did a lot of cardio, did a lot of weight training, did a lot of uh, pull-ups, push-ups, abs, all that stuff. That's how he was able to get in such fantastic shape. He wasn't like a huge bodybuilder. He probably only weighed 170 pounds, 180 pounds in these movie roles, but he was ripped to shreds with low, low body fat. So I'm going to let Mobster come in here and talk more about his training um, with, with uh, Franco and tell us a little bit about his training then and what his training looks like now, because you're almost 60 yourself. So how has the training changed for Sylvester as he's gotten older? I, I, one of the things, in terms of his physique, he actually says uh, in, in a couple of the interviews that he was inspired by Steve Rees in the Hercules movie, particularly there's a, there's a clip that they showed in both the documentaries where the Steve Rees character is chained to some columns and he pulls the columns down onto the Roman troops as they're coming up the stairs. So he's, he's inspired by this Herculean physique. There was this, he was talking about how he used to read some of the comic books and he was, as Steve says, training doing press-ups and stuff like that to get into the shape of school and so on. So there's an element of his early uh, training being the school stuff and and as I said earlier on the American so- uh, football and and putting a shot on wherever else later on when when he was training with Franco he was training this is where I know that Franco is putting him through an Olympia level training program he has him training twice a day so this is why this is why Sylvester's like dreading to get out of bed in the morning because he's still got his ass kicked from last night morning and afternoon workouts the, the double split and he was training six days a week. Now, I've mentioned in previous podcasts, and I'll say the same thing again. When someone says there's $30 million or a cut of the takings, the, 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 the 1% or 5%, whatever you're getting from the movie, and the movie's going to be $150 million, it's going to be $300 million, there's your motivation. But was it easy? God, no. Absolutely not. The, the, the fighting stuff, where, which was hands-on, he lists in one of his uh, documentaries again, about 12 or 15 different kind of injuries and stuff that happened during the shooting. And of course, you can't stop the movie. You've got to come back with your busted hand or your busted collarbone or whatever and carry on fighting. Um, as, as, you, as you said just now, Steve, fighting with uh, Dolph Lundgren, making this stuff look real, going away and actually scripting the fight and knowing you can't do those kind of ducking out of the way punches. You have to if not full power, but you're still going to be hit in the face and you're going to need to do that for 10, 10 different angles for the shot and whatever. And in terms of the actual physical training, absolutely things like um, uh, getting the dailies, I believe, from Cliffhanger. He did pretty much every single stunt that you see in Cliffhanger. Obviously, with wires holding him in positions, he's not going to fall off a cliff or whatever else. But when you see him hanging off a vice, that's him hanging off a vice. I believe that was shot in Italy. When, when, when you see him crawling up a face, that's him crawling up a face because the camera's right there. And an enormous amount of what he's done in the movies, and I said it just now, hasn't been CG. That's him. Those are his veins. That's his sweat. That's his intercostal serratus and abdominals. That's him looking like a little Hercules. This is not CG. This is not a, a suit or whatever else. The training then, with the two times a day, if you do any kind of 
research into how Arnold and Franco, they were all doing double splits four, five, six days a week back in those days. Now, training now, and I say this as someone who's uh, 56 right this minute, as Steve says, a few more years will be 60 years of age. I think uh, the mo if you gave me a million dollars, I'd probably want to get cut. I'd probably want to get into shape. You ain't going to give me a million dollars, so I don't have Would to. you fast? Would you fast for the next 30 days if I give would you a million dollars? I would probably go. I used to middle distance run. I kind of got decent at middle distance running. So somewhere underneath this 300 plus pounds bulk is, is an exomorph or a runner. Uh, I actually said something recently to the effect of I would be on my ass the first few times, but I think I could probably get up to five, six, seven K within a matter of a certain amount of time. So my my conditioning would come in there, and I would have to, I, I've got many many tubs of ice cream in the freezer upstairs, so they would have to go. I would probably get the girlfriend to come down, take all the crap out of my of my freezer and my fridge, take that home, just leave me with that, and for a million dollars, yeah, let's see what happens. I'd probably drop thirty pounds and uh, see abs for the first time since I was 18 or 19 years of age. But that's what's going to happen. That's what these guys are going to do. Now, in terms of training now, and bearing in mind when he was with Franco, he was, I mean, I've been still said this off, off air. The abs, the, I believe it was Rambo 3, or, or certainly if Rambo 3, Rambo 4, ripped to fuck. Amazing physique, training shots in the gym, video clips of him with Franco, and a couple of photographs which went around the world at 66 fucking years of age, looking absolutely amazing. Now, as Steve said, he might just be a five foot eight and 185. He's not a giant of a man. Let's, let's not muck around. He's not. He's a. But he's an amazing middleweight as as an athlete, and at 66 fucking years of age with those abs with the intercostals, with the psoriasis, with the vasculate, with the separation in the shoulder and the arms and everything else. And you go, how the fuck is this guy who, it, when he was 66, then I could have claimed my pension at 65. So he would have been what we call in the UK, a pensioner, an old man, retired, and this is how he looks. Now let's not, let's not dance around this stuff. That is a grind. That is a getting in the gym, and doing your stuff that is a making sacrifices every single day on his diet was pretty much the way that it was written 80 percent protein there was very little carbs almost no fruit it was not a healthy diet he says what he did to get into shape wasn't healthy he knows looking back now at the age of 74 and and again from documentaries and interviews that he's done what he was doing training wise what he was doing food wise and as we're getting to it in a minute with what he was doing with his PETs would not have been healthy, but it was arguably necessary. And here's the thing, and, and, and something that the, the takeaway, so let's not take away what he was doing. Let's take away the motivation. He did what needed to be done to look absolutely fucking amazing on screen at 66 years of age. Steve said it earlier on about, you know, the 60 being the 50, 50 being the 40. Did he look 66 on screen? Uh, when he had those abs and was in the no, God no, he looked at the most he looked forty years of age, maybe in the face, maybe a little bit drawn. But there's there's guys out there right now that would pay a million dollars to look how he did when he was sixty six. So the, the, there's a motivation just just from a physicality. There's a motivation. Get up early, doing your stuff, doing the grind, putting the working, going with that, not eating the sweets, not eating the desserts, getting out on the road, doing all the things you need to, no matter what your sport is. 
the motivation, the inspiration to get into the shape that he did is for a movie role. But for us as athletes, as, as would be athletes, you go, okay, look what he could do. Look what he made happen. What can we do? How can we make it happen? Now, you know, we'll, we'll get into the PEDs in a minute, but in terms of training, I think it was there. It was just 101% daily, early and late and doing what needed to be done. And I think maybe even now when you look at him being interviewed now in suit and tie or whatever, he looks in shape. He doesn't look necessarily ripped as he was at 66, but he looks in shape. And he looks like a guy that with three months could have abs a pop in. With three months, he could have a vein going. And he's 74. He looks in pretty damn good condition for 74. Even, excuse me, if he's had a bit of work done, he's still got the cheekbones, he's still got that structure. I don't think he's let himself get out of shape. He, when he's been interviewed, he doesn't look like a guy that's had to have his chins done or liposuction or whatever else. He, 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 he's, he's way more of a family man than he is now. But physically, he doesn't look 20, 30 pounds out of shape. He doesn't look 40 pounds out of shape. He looks like 10 pounds. He looks like 15 pounds. He looks like a, a few weeks, the right role, the right money, I'll get back into shape again. Now, it might not be Rambo 4 shape, but it's pretty, you know, it's, it's, he knows how to do the work. And again, the background that we mentioned at the beginning, he, he, he knows that these are the opportunities that have come to him, so he doesn't waste them. And that means getting up early. That means Franco kind of beating you up in the gym. That means going about when food is put on your plate, eating the stuff that needs to be done, and, and uh, to, to a lesser degree, to get in, as we will in a second, getting into the PEDs with some assistance. Yeah, back to you, Steve. So his diet, what Momster mentioned, yeah. what he did um, before Rocky Three. I'll give you an example. What this is what he did. Now, this isn't going to work long-term, guys. These, these crashing calorie, crashing carb diets don't work long-term. We know that from studies, okay? But they do work short-term. Like, if you have to get in shape a month from now, two months from now, cutting your carbs, crashing your calories will, will rip you up initially, and then over the long-term, it won't. But this is what he did. He basically did what Mobster said. No sugar, no carbs. And then he would drink tons of coffee, Still himself up to the point yeah. where he was actually getting dizzy spells on right. the set of the movie. And his mind wasn't even functioning correctly. Like he was forgetting his lines. Luckily in, in, in Rocky three, um, it wasn't a quality movie. So it's not like he had to learn a monologue before the scene. He just had to learn like a line or two, you know, and then just perform the scene. But, you know, he was down 4% body fat. This, so he ripped him to shreds. But it was, it's nothing I would ever recommend. His heart basically almost gave him a heart attack doing this. So, yeah. You know, I, I never recommend something like this. It was very dumb, very risky. And he looked back and admitted it, like Mobster said. So, but yeah, that's how you would hypothetically do it. Um, but I wouldn't recommend doing it. And there's healthier ways of even cutting down like that. I, I would tell someone just fast. Let's do a water fast for the next month. And you would shred down the exact same way and you wouldn't basically, you know, destroy your heart health in the process. So I would do it a little differently. Um, now let's get into uh, his steroid cycles. Now, back in those days, they didn't have access to HGH the way they do today. So we'll get into his HGH bust when he was, this was in 2007. But let's first talk about what he used originally. Now he was being trained by Franco Colombo. So we kind of extrapolate what did Franco Colombo know in those days? What they knew? They knew Primo. 
They knew Decca. They yeah. knew Ebol. And they knew Proviron. Those were the four, especially the first three I mentioned, the Debold, the Primo, and the Deca. So we can hypothetically say that he was likely on those steroids back in the, the 70s and 80s. Now, as a boxer, you have to remember in the movie, there's cuts and stuff. So he didn't have to go you know, uh, five rounds, 10 rounds, 12 rounds as a boxer in the movie. He just had to do the scene. Obviously, there's cuts and stuff. So it's not like he had to worry about the D-ball giving him pumps or, or anything like that. So we can assume that he ran something like that. I would say a mild dose of, of DECA, maybe four or 500 milligrams. Um, a, a couple D-balls a day, maybe 10, 20, 30 milligrams of D-ball a day or every other day. And then he would run the Primo, the Primo 500, 600, 700, 800, whatever it took, you know, uh, that whatever he needed to take to basically look, give that him that lean and mean look. So that's you know, likely what he ran back then because that's what they knew to run. So he likely ran that in the in the late 70s and 80s. Now, fast forward, what was he using in the 90s and 2000s? Now, back in 2007, he was going through customs in Australia. And I'm going to bring in Mobster about this. Yeah. Right. Australia is your sister, sister country, and you know about <laughs> the laws there. I know in Australia, the custom laws are insane. Oh, yeah. there. It's a very isolationist type of country when it comes to importing, exporting, but he was caught with 50 vials of growth hormone. And uh, that's a, that's, that's quite a bit. So that's kind of crazy. The fact that he was caught with 50 vials of growth hormone tells me that's not all he was running. He was probably running a shit ton of growth hormone. He was probably running a lot of other stuff too, that he didn't try. He was so desperate to move this stuff through customs just to take it with him, that tells you how much he actually had stashed in, in his actual house. If you were to go in his house and look at his face, he probably had a shitload of steroids. So obviously TRT, he's been on TRT probably since his 40s, okay, 40s and 50s, whatever. HGH probably ran HGH two IUs to four IUs a day. And then when he needed more, he ran more six, eight, 10 IUs a day. And he probably ran, you know, extra tests. He probably ran some Winstrol, some Proviron, some Masteron, those types of cutting steroids, especially around his movies to look lean and mean. So we can speculate that's what we remember. But for sure, he, he we know he loves the HGAs just based on that. He, he can't yeah, do yeah. that. So what do you what do you know about that? Do you know much about the Australia uh, custom laws? He, he yeah. was he was bringing it in or was he taking it out? I don't know, bringing it bringing it in. The, the the original stuff that I actually remember from years ago without doing any research was that there was some story that was put out at the time. Now I'm assuming perhaps by publicity people is that and I quote was for his bodyguard. But the Australian authorities thought otherwise. And uh, he was later quoted as saying he didn't, he, although he ticked the boxes regarding, you know, what you're bringing, you're allowed to bring in from customs and you say, oh yeah, I'm not going to bring this and I'm not going to bring that in. And lo and behold, you know, Kel surprise, they open a worldwide superstars luggage and, and as Steve says, they found very nearly 48, uh, 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 lots of gin troping, uh, specifically even the name of the, the product is quoted. Uh, said he didn't quite understand the laws. He then got fined, I will quote you the number, uh, uh, I believe it was $18,000, the two counts of uh, $18,000, so $36,000. Uh, 
uh, rather than because he could have been fined as much as $91,500 and up to five years in jail. So he was very, very lucky. And in addition to that, they actually went to his hotel room. The customs people went to his hotel room after this initial uh, charge. He was actually uh, arrested and, and was seen to throw four vials of testosterone out of the room. Now, I'm assuming out of the window. We've not got into the corridor. Uh, when the customs people turned up to search his room to see if there was any other drugs there. So, yeah, this is off the back of perhaps the other story. So 100%. In a lot of cases, when we're talking about steroid cycles, performance enhancing drugs that this person used or that person used, we're quite often taking second guess. And I think Steve's quite correct. When you look at what Franco and Arnold were doing, we can pretty much say that that's what we think he would have been on. I mean, you can also say, based on his physique, that he's going to be using cutting drugs, he's going to be using drying drugs with the harsh diet and all the rest of it. But when it comes to actually what he was taking, this is not guessing. This is what he was caught with. This is what he was seen thrown away by the Cubs officials that have come to search for it. So if we said growth, we would be 100% correct. We know that he used growth. This isn't a guess. This is 100% factual. Found with it, fine, arrested for it, fined for it. And we know that he was using tests. So I'm going to agree 100% with Steve. I don't think we, we can dance around too much with this. I would, I would agree with the testosterone replacement therapy. And this is, there's always going to be an element of the ego as an actor or specifically a film star wanting to be in shape. But I think um, apart from these, the days when he's actually getting ripped and one quoted figure percentage was 4%, another one was uh, believe of one role and it may well be the Rambo 4 again, 2.8% uh, measured body fat. You, there's a motivation to get in shape, so you're going to do what you need to do. You're going to be training with the best coaches. You're going to be training with the best nutritionists. Again, this is more or towards the end of uh, that time. Uh, training is going to be five o'clock in the morning if you need to do it before you go on set. And he's going to be taking what he needs to take. And again, I think like Steve said, with regards to this stuff, it's not ideal the, the way that he did it. But it's for a movie role. You're on screen for a certain amount of time. The filming is going to take, you know, three weeks for the punch-ups. It's going to take three weeks for the hanging off a cliff. It's going to take three weeks for running around with your shot off in Rambo. So you're not in super ripped kind of crazy shape for a long period of time. So you're going to do what needs to be done, but it's not for months at a time. When we, when we talk about the guys doing crazy stuff on the forums and we say, really, you shouldn't be doing this for 26 weeks or 30 weeks. You shouldn't be doing that kind of high level for TRT. That's because we're telling guys that want to do the, the higher dosages for a year, that they want to do a cycle that lasts half a year. Stallone is not doing that. He's doing maybe stuff for 12 weeks. He's getting into shape for three weeks. He looks absolutely amazing. The photographs come out, the film comes out, $300 million, thank you very much. So and we, we know what he's taken because we know what he got arrested with. I would say that the, 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 the growth is going to be for several purposes. With the diet and the conditioning work, it's going to make him lean. We know that the dry compounds, and again with the test, that's another reason. It's going to maintain the muscle tissue while he's eating next to nothing. Um, the amounts won't be crazy. They don't need to be crazy. He's never really got much above 185 pounds in shape. He's a middleweight. He's probably walking around at 160 now as a 74-year-old. And he probably, you know, got abs just about visible now. So he doesn't need to do crazy amounts. He, he knows what he needs to do. He knows he puts the work in. But it's all short-term stuff. So he could probably do the higher edge of his. And I think Steve's correct again. I believe the six to eight 
I use a day, it sounds about right to me. And I think it's because of what he's doing. What, what he does now, probably two to three I use a day as a 74 year old, almost certainly the TRT that Steve suggested, it's not going to be 300 milligrams a month. There's no need. I don't think he's, I don't think uh, when you look at him physically, and we're guessing a bit more here when we say, would he need to have higher levels? No, almost certainly not. He just needs to maintain, just needs to be in reasonable shape. When you look at him, again, doing interviews, he's done stuff on Instagram, talking about his daughters, talking about his wife, specifically talking about stuff during lockdown. And as a uh, the, the most recent uh, last Rambo movie, uh, where he plays an older gentleman anyway in the movie, it's about keeping the skin looking good, basically Hollywood stuff. And, and, and something that Steve and I discussed off air is this, this whole situation, his awareness of how he needs to look, how he needs to be seen, how he is on camera, uh, having been on both sides. He will know what that requires. So, as I said, again, he's going to bring top people in for this kind of stuff now. But I, yeah, I would say it was, it's, a, it's a given. Dry compounds, uh, minimal amounts. He doesn't need to take crazy high doses. You can tell that just by looking at him. It's not someone who's bulking up, you know, to 300 pounds or something ridiculous or 250. The heaviest he ever got, I believe, was for Copland. And that, he just looked like a normal guy in Copland. He looked like, he looked like, you know, he, he was trying to play an overweight cop, but he actually kind of just looked like a normal person. He didn't look like a ripped-up superstar. And it was probably one of his better acting roles. So, yeah, I, I think he knows what works for him. And that's kind of where the older man stuff comes in again. If you've done multiple cycles or if you've trained for a very long time, and this is where I would come in at 56 and Steve's me at 40-odd, you kind of know what works. You know what you take. You know what condition you've been in. You know what peak of strength that you've managed to obtain, say, for a competition. So you know what training's going to work for you. I know that I can run. I don't know if I can run right this minute, but I know that if I put my mind to it, I could probably get into some season condition and start doing 5Ks again, but it would be easy. God, no. And Stallone, he knows. He knows what works. He knows how to sacrifice. He knows that almost certainly Steve Smithson. I guarantee that he's done fast. He knows how to get in condition quick, what works, who to go to. He probably would actually pay someone, to use that phrase, to kick his ass. He, 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 he's going to know, listen, I, I, I dreaded getting out of bed in the morning and going to the gym when Franco was kicking my ass, but he still paid Franco to kick his ass. If he was a movie out there now and I said, listen, Sylvester, there's $100 million. We need you in shape. You're 74. Can you do it? He'd probably say, fuck yeah. Take that, give me the $100 million and then get the most evil training instructor, PT, nutritionist, whatever that you can think of, and have that guy come around and drag and kick and screaming out of bed every morning at 4 a.m. to go for runs, get in shape fast, do whatever needs to be done, up up his growth, do whatever. Honestly, this is the way people don't understand this stuff. Again, but it, it, Hollywood is is a business. He understands the business. He knows what works. And he's got that from experience. So Steve Smith probably be a better term when I say to you, I got into this shape. This is how good I've looked. I know how to make that happen. When Steve Smith is doing his consults and he's working with people, and I've done this with, with people that I've coached and worked with, my greatest trick isn't to teach you something that you don't already know in terms of training. You can go out there and find the stuff out. My greatest trick is to motivate you, to get inside your head and to push you, to learn what button. This, I think Sylvester Stallone, he's 74, 66 when he was in that shape. He knows what works. 
So when it comes to performance enhancing drugs, he will know from experience what's got him into shape. He will know what training is. He will know how hard this shit's going to be. He's not going to like it. He's not going to put a smile on his face. He's not going to come out there with an endorphin high, exercise high. He's not going to feel good, but he knows this is necessary. And that's where that kind of, I know what works at my age. Steve Smee knows what works at his age. This is what we're giving you guys. Back to you, Steve. I think that sums it up, buddy. So, uh, yeah, Sylvester Salon, guys. Hope you enjoy it. We'll have, uh, we have a lot of suggestions coming in. So, oh, yeah. we're going to take a look at it as a team and decide who we're going to uh, do next week. But I know you guys enjoy these, and they're, they're fun. And hopefully, you guys learn a little bit on this one, and hopefully, it motivates you as well uh, yeah. to, to follow this. And, you know, not everything is money. Um, money is a big motivator, yes, but not everything is money. It's all about being in, uh, healthy, and um, you can be motivated if you're a single guy to date. You can be motivated if you're married to look good for your wife. Um, so appearance is very important, guys. First impression is very important. Very, very quickly then, Steve. I was going to say you're quite correct. I can say that that's what's worked for Sylvester's wanting to be famous, wanting to be an actor, wanting to, to get these roles. But we're not talking about actors or being rich or whatever else. We're talking about doing these things for ourselves. So the motivation, the inspiration comes from let's see what he's done. Let's see how hard it's been. We can do that. We can do that. We might not be doing it for a million dollar role in a movie or a multi-million dollar role in a movie. We're doing it for ourselves. We might be doing it as some of our, our members as uh, for a photo shoot. We might be doing it to look good on the beach. But the grind, the, the, the experience, the getting stuff done, that's where the motivation and the inspiration comes in. See these people. There are human beings. They're not superheroes. They're not fantasy figures. It's what I said with Sylvester earlier on, what you're seeing on screen is real. This is not a rubber suit. That's his physique. That's him hanging from a wire. That's him running around doing whatever he needs to be done. This is not, not as many stunt doubles as normal. So the inspiration and the motivation comes in. Can this five foot eight Italian-American do it? I can do it. It doesn't have to be for a $100 million role or, you know, standing on the red carpet or wherever else. We can do it because we want to, that we can get up early, we can get our shit done, we can do the grind, and we can get into shape. So there's your inspiration, there's your motivation. All right, guys, so we'll talk to you guys next week. That sums it up beautifully for Steve Smee and Mobster. This has been Hardcore number 108, Sylvester Stallone. Have a good one, buddy. We'll see you guys next week. See you soon.